0: Can I have you to stand and read one verse? And you know, I was going to go elsewhere today, and Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. So I'm going to add one more message to the series, America at the Crossroads. I'm going to do that. You know, that's a funny thing, because we preachers, we plan things and we get our little outlines, but well, then the Holy Ghost comes and interrupts a good thing. and so i gotta be obedient and so let's read hosea chapter 8 verse 7. and i want you to notice here again is another prophet speaking to the nation in which uh, they lived speaking actually of jerusalem judah israel look what he says speaking about them they have planted the wind and they will harvest the whirlwind the stalks of grain wither and produce nothing to eat and even if there is any grain foreigners will eat it now I'm gonna jump back to the beginning of the verse they planted the wind they harvest the whirlwind notice you always harvest more than you plant be it good or bad you harvest more than you plant Father thank you for your word bless it to our hearts and Lord we take a moment and we pray for America we pray Lord that you'll have mercy on this nation that Lord uh, all of those who are hurting who are hurting financially, who have lost so much money in their uh, retirement funds. And Lord, even more than that, Lord, help our nation as it has so declined. We pray that you will turn us back to God, turn us back to your word, turn us back to your principles. And Lord, we thank you for it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him, God bless America. Now here we have another prophet in another place in the Bible. Israel as a nation had forsaken God and particularly here's what they had done. They had cast out God's word and they had turned to worshiping idols. It's an amazing thing. The true and the living God had dealt with them, but they had actually turned to worshiping things made with metal and made of stone. They claimed that they knew him, But in their actions, they rejected Him. They claimed they had a knowledge of Him, but in their lifestyles, they did not act like it. Israel had bowed down to silver, and they bowed down to gold, the same nation that had seen the cloud by day, the fire by night, the finger of God, right in tablets of stone. They bowed down instead to idols that couldn't speak, couldn't answer a prayer, Couldn't touch them, couldn't move. Now, Hosea describes their way of life as sowing the wind. How many of you have ever been involved in your own life in sowing the wind? The rest of you, you were born uh, in Immaculate Conception. Now, we've all sown the wind at some time or another. What I mean by sowing the wind is sowing a sinful lifestyle. That's what they had done. Now, Sowing the wind is a graphic picture of sowing nothingness. What is wind? It's nothingness. It is emptiness. It is, it is uh, that which has zero value. Wind has no value. It's empty, vacuous, meaningless. And this is what they had sown. And you'll notice if you ever live in sin, you're sowing wind. You're sowing that which is vacuous. It has no meaning, has no life. And he describes it further by saying that the stalk has no bud and it shall never produce a meal. And that's such a good picture of sin because sin never gives you what it promises it will. Sin never satisfies your soul. Sin never fulfills you in the least. As a matter of fact, sin leaves you with an empty stomach wondering what in the world you gave your life to. This is God's picture of a life of sin. He says it will not satisfy, it cannot satisfy. And Hosea warns them, he says, you have sown this kind of lifestyle and you're now going to reap the whirlwind. What you have sown is going to come back uh, in greater quantity and greater force than what you originally sowed. Not only will what you're sowing not feed you, not fulfill you, not satisfy you, but it's going to tear you down it's going to turn on you what you have sown. He's talking to the entire nation. Now, the reason I'm plucking these little stories out of the Bible is I got to tell you the truth, church, and those of you listening by radio, America has sown the wind. America has turned its back on God, and we're going to see the consequences in just a moment. But we need to return to God. We need to return to the Word. We need to get very, very serious about our Christianity, get out there and start preaching it, start teaching it, start sharing it, get infectious with your faith, because if we don't really start shining like lights on a hill that cannot be hidden, we're going to lose it. We're going to lose this nation. You can't leave a nation with a spiritual vacuum without something swooping in to fill that vacuum. So I want you to hear me very clearly today, because I feel like a prophet. I feel like Jeremiah must have felt. I feel like I'm watching my nation go down the tube. And we've got to turn. Now I want you to understand when Hosea said, "You sown the wind, you reap the whirlwind," a desert whirlwind in Hosea's time uh, tore through a place like a modern-day tornado. A whirlwind was a violent and sweeping thing that was destructive. He said, you have sown the vacuous emptiness of sin. You shall reap a whirlwind of destruction. That's what he's saying to the nation of Israel. You have sown the vacuous emptiness of sin. It is not satisfying you. It's not filling you. And you're going to reap a whirlwind of destruction. God is very clear in his word. What you sow, you will reap. You can't get away from it. I can't sow a tomato seed and get a rose. It's very simple. I can't, I can't sow an apple seed and get a peach. God says what you sow, you're going to reap. If it's good, you're going to reap it. That's good news. If it's good, you're going to reap it. But if it's not good, you're also going to reap that. And whether you reap righteousness or you reap wickedness, you're going to reap more than what you sowed. You sow it as a wind, you reap it as a whirlwind. You sow one seed and reap a crop of Ten. An entire forest is wrapped up in one acorn. You have sown the the emptiness. You're going to reap destruction. Now, like Israel, America claims to know God, don't they? We say we're a Christian nation, but I got news for you. Our nation officially is not a Christian nation. We claim that we believe in Him, but in actions, our nation is denying God. American civilization is... I got a news flash for you, is no longer a Christian civilization. America is a post-Christian nation that is right now under relentless attack by secular humanists bent on removing every vestige of faith in God from the American landscape. We are a post-Christian nation run by secular humanists primarily and Our nation has a lot of Christians in it, but those Christians, and this is my message, those Christians need to wake up. Those Christians need to wake up. One of the greatest focal points of this attack, the attack against our faith, the attack against the Word of God, the attack against God Himself, has happened in our school system. Now, this is going to matter more than you know, and I'm about to explain why. The secular humanist social engineers know that to successfully change a society you must capture the minds of the next generation. They know that and you do this through the schools and our schools are under attack. Our schools where your children go are under attack. Our schools have been attacked in a vicious attempt to remove God and God's word from the minds of our children. And Jesus said, woe unto you, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it's better for you than a millstone was tied around your neck and you were thrown into the midst of the sea than that you cause one of these little ones to stumble in their faith. Those who have engineered our schools away from God have a very sobering judgment down the road. The opening shot of our schools under attack happened in 1963 when atheist Madeline Murray O'Hare won a Supreme Court decision banning prayer from our public schools. That was the opening salvo. That was the beginning, I believe, of the havoc that has been wreaked on our education system. Several highly destructive decisions from the illustrious Supreme Court who I'm going to go ahead and say it, Satan has used. See, in our nation, our politicians are not really the ones that lead us. It's five people on the Supreme Court, the majority, whatever that majority is, on the Supreme Court. I am. And i tell you, it's got to concern you. If you're a believer, you've got to feel concerned. You've got to feel burdened by this. This has to be something on your mind. If you're a believer. They made one decision after another after another that has brought destruction to our country. Several of them. The refusal to allow creationism taught. The decision on abortion. If you look at the plague of school violence in America you'll find a direct correlation between the time God was removed and the rise of academic violence. Three years after prayer was banned, let me just give you an example. Three years after prayer was banned, Charles Whitman climbed the tower at UT in Austin and shot dead 16 people. Seven people were killed in 2005 by a 16-year-old student. Five were killed in a middle school by a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old in 1998 in Arkansas. In 1997, a 14-year-old student uh, opened fire on a youth prayer group in Heath High School, killing three and wounding five others. Two were killed in Pearl, Mississippi, two in Springfield, Oregon, 15 in Littleton, Colorado, and 32 in Virginia Tech. When we took God out and took the commandments out, notice with me, metal detectors came in. When we removed prayer, here's what we were saying. God, we don't need you. God, we don't want you. God, we will not honor you. God, we don't want you in our children's minds. God, we do not want to acknowledge you. And God heard it. Because you see, when God is blessing you, there is a sphere of protection around you. When God is with you, there is protection around you. And it was like God lifted his hand and said, okay, you don't want me? Let me show you what happens without my influence, without my spirit, without my being honored in your educational system. This matters today more than we know. In the wake of all of this, all these shootings, all this violence in the schools, the national media is wringing their hands. They never do have a clue. ringing their hands and asking the question, how could this happen? How could this happen in America? I want you, I want you to know today, it doesn't make me wonder how it could happen. I'm not mystified as to how this could happen. I want to look at some answers today, not my own, but answers out of God's word. Then I want to offer us some hope because I want you to know it's not too late. God can still turn it around. God can still turn it around. God can turn and glance at America and turn it. God can blink his eye and turn it. God can speak one word and turn it. God can extend his hand for a microsecond and turn it. But it hinges on the people of God. And that's why I'm speaking to you and to my folks listening by radio. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the answer lies within you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal and heal and heal their land. Now, the first reason, the first thing that really took us down was right and wrong are no longer clearly defined in America. In America, we've been invaded by the philosophy of secular humanism. At its core, and by the way, secular humanism births situational ethics. That means your ethics are decided on the situation you find yourself in. Right might be right in one situation, but wrong in another. Right and wrong are optional. They're up for grabs. There are no absolute rights and no absolute wrongs under secular humanism and situational ethics. But when we open God's Word, we immediately find clearly defined rights and clearly defined wrongs. They are there, and thank God for it because it gives us offense it gives us parameters it lets us know where we cannot cross without paying a price any good parent does that and god's a real good daddy god's a real good daddy the street you shouldn't cross he tells you not to cross it the ten commandments what are the ten commandments they are god's written code of morality and ethics that's what they are and, 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 and it's not hard to understand because he says thou shalt not now anybody can understand thou shalt not but you know there's a flip side of this Jesus came to set us free, not just so that we won't do certain things, but so that we can do other things. You see, if I'm lost, I can't praise God. If I'm lost, I can't enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit. If I'm lost, I can't fellowship with my Creator. But thank God, He came to not only shut the door on some things, but He opened the door on some other things. He came to set us free. But God's commandments are without debate and they are without controversy. And all of the good, effective laws that we have can be traced to the Ten Commandments. Now God gave them to us as a deterrent. A deterrent to crime and a deterrent to wrongdoing. That's why I think if you're upset about them not being in your school, let me ask you, are they on your refrigerator? You ought to have them on your refrigerator. I got convicted about this a few years ago. I went to my computer, got the Ten Commandments, put them all in different colors and put it on my refrigerator. You can't get something to eat without looking at those commandments. (laughs) And he commanded his people, watch this, to teach them to their children. That's why God gave the commandments. Listen to this verse, Uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 8 and what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which i set before you this day only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and to your grandchildren You ought to take your children on your lap and say, tell me the Ten Commandments. Let's talk about the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one. You ought to teach them to them because those commandments in the hearts of the children are God's restraint, God's boundaries, God's laws that you cannot cross and they will preserve them and they will keep them and they will save them. When they go to do wrong, the commandment talks to them. When they go to do wrong, that commandment rises up inside of them and they hear it, thou shalt not. So if it's not being taught in your school, let me ask you a question. Is it being taught in your home? Are you teaching your children the commandments? God said, the reason I gave you the commandments is to teach your children and teach your grandchildren. So God taught his people that as parents, their primary responsibility was to teach their children the commands of God. That they would understand right from wrong as well as the consequences we live in a world of consequences that's the way that God made it you cannot in any way shape or form do wrong without a consequence and guess what you can't do right without a consequence you're going to reap good or you're going to reap bad so God taught his people that they were to teach the commandments to their children and we have the commandments as unending absolutes thank God for that but now Think again of what has happened in America since the 1960s. I personally believe we lost our way in the 1960s. I believe in the 1960s we went adrift. And we've been adrift ever since. Prayer to God was removed from schools. The Ten Commandments were removed from school walls. With one brilliant justice saying this, I'm afraid it might warp the minds of our children professing themselves to be wise they have become fools the mention of jesus christ in christmas plays has been systematically removed with the help of the against christian liberties union otherwise known as the aclu the mention the mention of one nation under god and the pledge of allegiance has been attacked and in many instances removed can you imagine that So God's word of absolutes and prayer have been removed from the school systems nationwide. And now all we see there is ignorance and violence. As a matter of fact, when prayer was taken out of our schools by the Supreme Court, we in essence rejected God and His word. And what were the consequences? Let me share with you a few of the consequences that we have been able to track since that decision was made. Let's take the young people for instance. For 15 years before 1963, pregnancies in girls ages 15 through 19 had been no more than 15 per thousand. After 1963, pregnancies increased 187 percent in the next 15 years. For younger girls ages 10 to 14 years, 10 to 14 years, pregnancies since 1963 are up 553 percent. Before 1963, STDs among students were 400 per 100,000 students. Since 1963, they were up 226% in the next 12 years. When we say to God, don't want you, don't need you, don't want to listen to you, God lifts his hand and we pay a staggering price. Let's talk about what's happened in the family since 1963. Before 1963, divorce rates had been declining for 15 years, declining. After 1963, divorces increased 300% each year for the next 15 years, each year. Since 1963, unmarried people living together is up Now, I don't know if you're thinking mathematically, but please do let this blow your mind. It should. Since 1963, single parent families are up 140%. Since 1963, single parent families with children are up 160%. And what's happened in our educational system? What's happened in those schools that kicked God out? the educational standard of measure has been the SAT scores. SAT scores had been steady for many years before 1963. Steady. But from 1963, they rapidly declined for 18 consecutive years, even though though the same test has been used since 1941. 18 years in a row, they declined. Now watch this. In 1974 and 1975, the rate of the decline of the SAT scores decreased. Even though they continued to decline, the decline level decreased. That was when there was an explosion of private religious schools. There were only 1,000 Christian schools in 1965, but between 1974 and 1984, they jumped to 32,000 why parents started saying i'm not sending my child to a place that tells them god is dead that won't let them pray that won't let them name the name of jesus christ that won't let them say one nation under god and the pledge of allegiance i'm out of here you can't take god out You've got to bless the children with the knowledge of God. That's why you bring them here to Turning Point. They're going to learn the Word of God. They're going to memorize the Word of God. They're going to worship God. We're going to put the Lord in their minds. Now, listen to this. I found this amazing. In private schools, they found that out of the private schools began to emerge the higher SAT scores. In checking with the SAT board, it was found that indeed the SAT scores for private schools were nearly 100 points higher than public schools. In fact, the scores were at the point where the public schools had been, had been before their decline started in 1963, when prayer and Bible reading were removed. The scores in the public schools were still declining, but not in schools where the children could pray and could say the name of Christ and could be told that God was alive. Of the nation's top academic scholars, of the nation's top academic scholars, three times as many come from private religious schools which operate on one-third the funds as do the public schools. Now let's talk about what happened to our nation when prayer was taken out by the Supreme Court not so supreme court. Since 1963, violent crime has increased 544 percent. Illegal drugs have become an enormous and uncontrollable problem. The nation has been deprived of an estimated 30 million citizens through legal abortions since June 1973. You can't legislate God out of public without paying a price. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Like it or not, We need to be able to look up and say, my God lives, and this is one nation under God. This nation was given to the Lord Jesus. But instead of learning about God, learning the Word, our school is now focused instead on right and wrong, uh, or the right and wrong of self-esteem. Feelings trump thought. If it feels right, you do it. If it feels wrong, you don't do it. You're not ruled by God's absolutes. You're ruled by your own emotions and your own feelings and your own choices. What's happening in the schools, folks, is only a reflection of what's happening in the entire culture. Our entire culture as an official entity has rejected Judeo-Christian morality and ethics and embraced the plain, vanilla, pale shade of gray, wishy-washy philosophy of situational ethics and secular humanism which says, I am God and not Him. We have devalued life. And that's the second thing that has hurt us. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that one thing that abortion has done, and I want to say again, if you have experienced an abortion in your life, Don't feel condemned when I talk about it because God forgives. But you've got to tell the truth. We've got to address the truth and we've got to address the value of life. The Bible declares about every one of us For you formed me uh, in my mother's womb, you wove my inward parts. Your eyes were looking at my unformed substance, yet, unformed, you were there. The Bible says God was intricately involved in your formation in your mother's womb and God called you and knew what you're going to do and be before you were born. And yet in America, because we've practiced abortion, we've lost an entire generation, an entire generation of social security, uh, folks who would have contributed to it. We've lost an entire generation of those who could have gone into an army or a navy and helped defend us. We've lost 30 to 50 million. That is an entire generation. And that is devaluing life. One of the downsides to abortion, and there are many, is the devaluing of life. How often have we read in the paper about a teenage girl having a baby, nobody knowing about it, and her dumping that baby into a trash bin? Here's the principle. If there's no value in the womb, there's not going to be value out of the womb. We've got to honor and value life you have value, I have value. The scripture teaches that a child in the womb is the very handiwork of God. These six, six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. And one of them is the hands that shed innocent blood. I have recently been going through the book of Jeremiah. And I found in the first 20 chapters when Jeremiah is declaring judgment over Judah and Israel, Jeremiah gives two main reasons. One of them, he says five times in the first 20 chapters for the shedding of innocent blood. Because of the shedding of innocent blood, you're being taken into captivity and into judgment. We can't short-circuit people into eternity and not have to answer for it. say, well, Doesn't it matter what I think? Let me tell you what's more important. What God thinks. What God thinks. See, secular humanism says it matters what you think. But Christianity says it matters what God thinks. It matters what God thinks. And God is a God of life. So the devaluing of life has hurt us. And then the teaching of evolution has devalued life. Devalued life. If I believe that I am a creation of God, it gives me value. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you've got value. Turn to somebody and preach to them. You've got value. Now I want you to preach to me and say, I have value. I'm a handiwork of God. He made me. He fashioned me. My DNA. He gave me. And I'm made for a purpose. Now give the Lord a hand of praise. If I believe God created me for a purpose, I have value. But watch this. If I'm nothing but an insignificant speck moving through an accidental universe, I have no meaning. I'm just a mistake. And as a culture, we've sown the wind. We've told an entire generation of children, God didn't make you, you're just a mistake an accident of evolution and so no wonder they wake up and they look at others and they say you have no value i have no value we're just machines our ancient ancestors were some amoeba that crawled out of some ancient sea i'm not made with a design in mind i just happened to come about because of some cold impersonal evolutionary process so you don't have value and i don't have value and that's a lie that's a lie That's a lie. God made you. God made our world. God made our universe. God made the animals. God made the fishes of the sea. God made the birds in the sky. God made everything you can see and hear and taste and smell. God made it. Now, it usually takes about three generations for a society to fully reap according to the philosophy they've embraced. By 1930, the battle over absolutes was lost in universities and in seminaries in America. That's my grandparents' generation, and the people who are committing these murderous atrocities in the school and the chaos we see around us is the fourth generation the rejection of God and His Word, the loss of clearly defined right and wrong, and the devaluation of life have gutted the soul of America, church. Have gutted the soul of America. Now here's the answer. There is an answer. Don't look at me so grim. I said there is an answer. The answer is not more gun control. It's not metal detectors. It's not stiffer prison terms. It is repentance and change It is responding to the God who made us. It is receiving his word back first into our home. If you don't have the commandments on the refrigerator or some wall somewhere in your house, go home, find them, write them out, make it pretty if you need to, but put those commandments up and talk about them. We need to allow God and His commandments back into the schools. We need to allow the alternative teaching of creationism. Why not? Can I tell you, evolution doesn't have a leg to stand on. I mean, I've read everything I can read on it. They haven't proven evolution yet. They haven't found the missing link yet. They haven't been able to decisively prove the reality of evolution yet. You know why? Because it ain't there. And I said, ain't on purpose. It's not there because God made it. He said, let there be, and it was. Ex nihilo. God made it. He spoke it, and it was. We've got to allow creationism to be taught so that our kids have a sense of value and meaning. Let's return to personal responsibility instead of blaming everybody and everything else for our own mistakes. Church, it rests on you. It rests on me. I know Jesus. Thank God by His grace I know Jesus. And I know that a praying church is the greatest force on earth. And if God's people will pray, I mean get on their face and pray, and ask God to invade America again, the same God who took His hand off the schools will put it back. The same God... We've got to stop the insane legislating of God out of our society based on the misinterpretation of separation of church and state, which is a lie perpetrated by liberal atheists who don't want God in our culture. And we've got to start honoring life. We've got to start honoring life. Now in just a few days, we're going to vote We're going to vote for a president. We're going to vote for Congress. We're going to vote for a House of Representatives. We're going to vote all the way down to the dog catcher. In a lot of nations of the uh, world, you can't do that. There is no vote. But we have a vote. Now I want to tell you something. This is heavy on my heart. When you walk into that voting booth to vote all the way down, you don't go in there as a representative of a party. You go in there as the representative of the kingdom of God. I have a higher allegiance than my allegiance to America or to a party. My allegiance is to the God who saved me. My allegiance is to the God of the Bible. So when I go into that voting booth, I must vote the Bible. I vote the Bible. And I vote what is closest to the Bible. Are we going to get exactly what we want? Never. Are we going to have a utopia? Never. Not until Jesus comes again. But can you vote closest to the Word? Yes. Vote the Bible and not a party. Vote the Bible and not a personality. Vote truth and conscience. Not compromise. Not what somebody else tells you is true. Vote for those who will legislate laws closest to what we know is in the scripture. Vote life and not death. Vote for what God can most closely, amen. Because when you walk into that booth and you shut that curtain, you're not alone. You're not alone. Because you and him are in there. And if he watches when I give a penny into the offering plate, he watches when I pull a lever. Because we will live with what we vote for. And you know how we got in this mess? People who didn't honor God got into political power and took our freedoms away. It's enough. Stand up, Christian. Stand up. Stand up for what you know is right. Can we stand together? Go ahead and give God praise. You know, children are precious. I, Kathy and I were in a real valley at one point in our life, years ago before I ever pastored my first church. And I had graduated from University of North Texas just thinking, well, now that I'm graduated, the whole world is going to open up to me. Next Billy Graham, here I come. And I got my business cards typed up, and I got my letters of recommendation sent out, not one response came and i was down in a valley and we used to babysit this little girl who was mongoloid who had down syndrome she was like eight years old when she used to stay with us ten and you know how they are they're slow but they're sweet they don't have the intellect to be conniving and so what you see is what you get and i'm sitting in a chair in our living room one day and i'm thinking where's god ever feel that way where's god whole world going to hell in a handcart, and here i am saying send me and i don't get sent anywhere <laughs> and all of a sudden this little girl walked over got in my lap and grabbed my face and turned it towards her. She said, Jeff, we, Jeff, we, God's going to take care of you. And it just convicted me. And I thought that life mattered because if she never did another thing, I felt terrible that she had more faith than me. Jeff, we, God's going to take care of you. I want to encourage you to every day from now through the fourth, pray. And I want you to pray. And I want us to pray right now, can we? Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you've got a call and a place. And Lord, there is a a great hand of destiny on America. But Lord, we've seen so much damage, particularly when we removed you from the American landscape, from our schools. What a price we've paid, incalculable, because we took you out of our schools and out of the minds and lives of our children, officially, publicly. Lord, forgive us for that horrible decision and all the decisions that followed that were so damaging. We pray, Lord, put your hand on this country again. Lord, send revival to America. And I want you to take a minute, church, and I want you to pray. I'm not dismissing the service yet, but if you want to come down to the altar and pray, we're going to take about three minutes and we're going to pray for our land again. And I'm going to make some very important announcements about care ministry. So don't go. This is not the end. But if you want to come down and pray, if you want to kneel where you are, But let's take three minutes and let's pray for this country. In Jesus' name.